breadsticks. Breadsticks with like sesame seeds on them. Hey, hello, yeah. I am just naming stuff that I would like to eat, yes. This is correct. You are looped into the world of BAM. My name is Maya. You know who you are. You know what your name is. I hope so. I hope you haven't lost it yet. Have you? Have you? I, I fucking have. But my name is too important for me to forget it. Because I'm named after the bean. <laughs> Mostly because I'm named after a cartoon character and that explains everything you need to know about me. I'm a serious human fucking being. Also, I watched Twilight for the research to understand teenagers better. I, th th this should just define everything <laughs> again about like, what you need to know about this episode. So, um, yeah, let's dive straight into this motherfuck. In April 2016, Kim Edwards and Lucas Markham stabbed Kim's mom and sister to death. What they've done after the killings earned them the nickname of the Twilight Killers. We've got our killers, we have our crime. What was their motive? So, so far I have covered what? If I remember right, only two British cases and then this is the third one. Fuck it, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I lost count. But yeah, one was the Family Annihilator, then the last week's one was the Caesar Sisters, and then this week's is clearly the Twilight Killers, which was actually the youngest killer duo in uh, UK history. And it happened, what, only three years ago? Four. I'm lost in time and space. <laughs> can do basic math. But now you're picking up a pattern. British crimes are strange. They're just a different level of strangeness to American crimes. You know, American is kind of like oversized. It's over pompous. It's like, it's like screaming from the top of the rooftops. But the Brits, the Brits are just doing it a bit more different. It's just... There's a little bit of strangeness in every single of these crimes. We're like, but why doing it this way? Just adding a tad bit of weirdness as we do. No, by we, I'm still not British. What? <laughs> so on 14th of the April 2016, the school actually called the police because they couldn't reach the house of Kim Edwards, who was a student at the school. And, you know, they can't reach the mom. They can't reach the house. They were just calling to see, like, Okay, maybe to report her missing. Around the same time as well, the school called the police about the missing mother because she hasn't reported to work for a couple of days. She really loved going to work. This is why it's great having a job that you like and then going to work and then, you know, not appearing at work is out of ordinary and people actually look for you. This is why I never understood. Whenever I would do my customer service job and, you know, there would be like those people that if they fucking didn't show up for work for like weeks, People would still not raise alarms, and I'm like, but this is this is messed up. It's on you, but it's it's messed up. So the next day, on the 15th of April, the police comes around Kim's house, and they want to speak to the mother, obviously, to see like what the fuck is happening. So Elizabeth, the mom, at this point, has been missing for two days. And she worked as a lunch lady in the school and like everybody reported she really loved her job so you know, she wasn't pulling sickies out there. They also rang her boyfriend in the before showing up at the house and he said he hasn't seen her or heard from her either. So he sort of starts coming from where he was living. It was like a long drive. So while the police goes onto the premises, the boyfriend starts coming down as well. Now, as nobody is answering the door, they force their way into the house. Like They force their way in and they immediately see two teenagers. One of them is Kim Edwards, who's also also reported missing alongside her sister, Katie. But Kim is just there with her boyfriend, Luke Markham. And they're just sitting there watching TV, just chilling like <laughs> this police buzzkills. They ask them where the mom is and Luke says, go upstairs and see. It's like, first of all, child, okay, learn how to fucking communicate with adults. I love how like different things are different, like different modales. <laughs> Like, different customs were different, like, other countries. Like, if somebody was to tell anybody in my country, go upstairs and see, like, they'll get slapped on the face, like, what the fuck do you mean, bitch? Why are you being a rude little cunt? Like, you tell me, you answer my question, don't give me, like, some, like, fucking line. You're not answering the question. 
I am of course again trying to distance myself from the next couple of lines because what they discover is fucked up. So the police goes upstairs and finds the bodies of Elizabeth, the mother, and Katie, Kim's sister, in their own beds. And at this very time, boyfriend of Elizabeth, the mom, called Graham Greene, arrived and also was just like broken at what he is witnessing on the scene. So, of course, they're like, great, this is chill. Let's arrest Kim and Lucas. And they get arrested. Lucas wasn't willing to talk, but Kim was just like sharing it all, spilling the beans. So, this is what she confessed to. So she said to the police officers what the plan was for Lucas to walk from his house to Kim's to go to the back of her house and knock on her bedroom window. They actually wanted to commit this two days before they did, but Lucas, for two nights in a row, knocks on her window and realizes she is asleep and then goes back home. Which when I read, I was like, maybe he is forcing her. When I first read this, I was like, maybe he is forcing her to do this. Maybe she doesn't actually want to kill her mother and sister. But then it's much colder than that, actually. I, I put, this is when you know it's a sign from the gods and you back the fuck off. But they don't, of course. Nobody understands these signs of, like, bad luck, of, like, maybe the girl just wants to sleep, don't proceed with this. No. For a time is the charm. By charm here, very morbid connotation. But yeah. He comes in through the bathroom window on this third night. The plan was for him to kill Elizabeth, her mom, and for Kim to kill her sister, Katie. Now, there's a documentary on this, there's a bunch of, like, stuff online, obviously, because this immediately raised interest, so there's a ton of psychologists debating on everything here, so yes, for the first time ever, you will actually have licensed psychologists details on their motives and what they think they are, and not just my speculation, but yeah, there's gonna be a lot of, like, psychologist quotes going through this, so at this point, psychologists state that this was a crucial moment, as Kim had a power to decide against Lucas killing her family. I mean, she had this power at multiple fucking occasions, but this was like that sort of point of no return. But what she backs out of it is actually doing it herself. So, like, she kind of asks him to, like, kill both of them. So Lucas is like, sure, of course, of course, love. Lucas stabs her mom twice, and then because she was still alive and just has woken up due to the stabbing, he holds the pillow to smother her. And during the interrogation, Kim said she wanted to go to the room to check if he was okay. If he was okay. This is where you're like, there's something wrong with this mindset. There's something slightly, slightly strange. Why does she want to check if he was okay? The next line, this is the chilliest script. What the fuck is the script? This truly shows you, you can see a situation from various different angles. Yeah, Maya, yeah, but then there is a right angle, isn't there? Fucking freak. No, this just continues. Uh, I put, I know they were 14 and this is inappropriate, of course, like every fucking joke you make, idiot. But this is where I'd insert my usual, was dick that good, sis? Oh my god, my usual. Like, when did I ever say this on the podcast or in real life? When did I ever say sis in a real life? Okay, so he killed your mom. Yeah, now moving on. He goes into her sister Katie's room. He does the exact same thing, smothers with a pillow. Now the two of them are like, great, task completed. They have a bath together just to clean off the blood of each other. Because why the fuck not? After that, Kim, who is, I cannot, I can only describe this in a completely dissociative state, like just complete denial, just like me at this level in quarantine, just like it's not happening, it's just a normal day, fuck it. I'm like ignoring the fact that, you know, I might catch a disease and die tomorrow. So she just, after having this bath, goes into her sister's room, gets the mattress from her own bed and takes it to the living room, just like her sister is there, dead, clearly dead. You're seeing it, but you're refusing to see it. Denial. Definition. Is it the Google definition of denial? It fucking should be, okay? Now, when they set up this mattress, fortress, whatever the fuck, in the living room, they eat ice cream, logically, logically. They have sex and they watch Twilight. Hence the name. Media, you're outdoing yourself again. It's great. No, don't call them stabbers. Don't call them anything else. No, Twilight killers. Smart. So wise. Why did I start to journalism? What nobody is pinpointing at is like, do you realize this is the last movie you're watching before going to jail? 
This is why I always say you should judge recommendations like friends give you on books, on movies and everything. Your choice for last movie before jail is fucking Twilight. It's like, there are no movies in jail. Do you even comprehend that? That's where I'm like, you're 14 and this is your life. This is your choice. It's to watch a movie where a guy has actually been saved after being technically old and now he's like perving this young little kid in fucking high school and just petrifying her all over the fucking place and she's like, no, I'm not scared of you while she's clearly shitting her fucking pants. And the whole time he's trying to like abstain himself for not fucking drinking her blood. There's no point to this movie. There's no plot. And every attempt at the plot, I'm like, okay, this would be interesting. Okay. Oh, there's there's some books, you know, there's like some history here about vampires, about like what is it called? Werewolves. <laughs> about werewolves, about like how, you know, they can be fighting their the families are against each other. Okay, there's a plot. No, no, let's just ignore the whole plot and just focus on the teen romance and on the weirdest fucking sets of shots. Okay, so now hear me out, controversial opinion. But if every single person, including producers, directors, writers, clearly writers of the books as well, cast and crew, lightning, you know, every single person in the movie has been changed and the script has been changed and just actually had a focus on like the vampire shit, Twilight would have actually been a decent movie. <laughs> like, but no, that did not happen and that was their choice of movie. <sighs> Why did I, I waste it so much? Like, I was so pissed off with myself after watching this movie. I was so angry. I also like live tweeted <sighs> while watching it. So that's out there on the internet for anybody. You know, I did it so you don't have to. Don't watch that shit. So, back to this fucking pathetic story of teen romance. So, 36 hours, they are just chilling on this mattress, you know, probably watching fucking Twilight on repeat. Like, it won't further damage their fucking brains. How did you feel? Uh, I was okay with it. Like, I was fine with just so cold-blooded. She just like still, still the same way, man. Like what? What you mean? Like I don't doubt my decision in the slightest. Or do you think like Lucas shared too much emotion? Of course not. He was equally eerily fucking cold. He said Kim knew he hated her mom, so he just suggested, "I wish I could kill her," and she was like, "Yeah." It's just like that's not a yeah kind of answer. It's like elaborate. Can we think a bit? Can we think of the reasons why you want like your boyfriend to become a hitman? I push is such a literally Slinda. She just like stop taking everything so literally. And then she thought he was joking, but he said he was being serious. So she says she was being serious. What is this mind? Like this is just like such a showcase. They're fucking fourteen. It's just like oh no, I'm actually being serious. And she's like, but then I am being serious as well. I put this is like if Freeverdale was shot in the UK. Also, you need to watch the fucking video. I'm gonna probably link it below if I remember. There's this video of multiple press appearances and press conferences of Riverdale cast. It just made my day because none of them is working. Like, none of them gives a fuck. None of them is actually selling that show. They're just like, yeah, like, the plot is, like, so great. Like, what did you think when you first read the script? Like, I'm mind blown. They just, like, invent some fucking words. Like, yeah, epic. So groundbreaking. <laughs> and literally every single one of them is like, we just get paid. Like, leave us the fuck alone. She opens the bathroom window, I pass my back through, I get through, and then she opens my back. Then I, uh, I take a knife out and I pass her a knife. Then I went into her mum's room, stabbed her in the neck while she was asleep on the side, and smothered her face with a pillow. It's just so cold bloody. It's just the same way I tell you an account of my boring fucking quarantine day. It's like, oh yeah, went had a coffee, yeah, walked for about an hour, went to the exact same part. Just no effect, no effect. Anything he has done just had no fucking effect on him. He also said he wasn't sure if he stabbed Katie, so like Kim's sister, or the mattress. So he just smothered her too. This is why you don't kill, but you definitely don't kill when you're fucking 14. Because you don't understand, like, are you stabbing mattress, are you stabbing human flesh? You just cannot even comprehend. Now when we have these eerily cold confessions, let's go on to trial. Let's see what the fuck the jury has given them. So in the UK, if you are over the age of 10, you are criminally responsible. Something I didn't actually know about 
this case but basically you're not tried as a minor you're just like nope you're an adult you committed murder you get charged for murder motherfucker Lucas pled guilty but Kim pled not guilty and t- Kim kind of tried to twist it saying that Lucas was controlling her but like the jury saw for everything like she opened the door there was three attempts all of that thought process like where she could have actually stopped it so both of them get first degree murder so 20 years to life and during that first hearing their identities were protected But once they appealed and the judge actually thought, okay, maybe that was too harsh, let's give them 17 years and a half each to life. They have to serve that time before applying for parole. But also let's make their identities public. They committed the shit, they're gonna have to deal with press. And here the psychologists kind of say like there might be some hope with Lucas because he actually kind of said he was guilty straight away. He admitted guilt. But with Kim, there was just no remorse, no nothing. She acted like it's nothing, like killing her mother, her own fucking family. And this is because you can't actually teach somebody to have empathy. So with her, it will be really hard even once she is released out of prison, possibly not to reoffend in a way as well. But now let's go to background. Let's see what inspired these young minds to commit murder. So in terms of background, the police actually wanted to know the motives as well. So they asked uh, those bunch of kids. So Kim's motive and logic in general in life was that her mother favored Katie. So to, you know, you and me, this might seem like a super trivial thing, but there's this psychologist that was featured in this documentary and her name is Emma Kinney. And she basically says what to us might seem as a trivial to a minor can be all consuming. This is like when you are as a child and you're just like obsessed to like, I don't know, going to a park. And then, you know, your parents are like, yeah, yeah, we'll go at this time. You realize they have been lying this whole fucking time. And to you, like the whole world is broken because you just wanted to go to the time. Like you were promised this. And now you're just there like my whole world is broken. Like, why would you lie to me? Well, in Kim's eyes, the mom just favored her sister her whole life. She was also against her relationship with Lucas, so when Kim would go to Lucas to sleep over, Kim the next day would find her belongings in like bin bags. Parenting here, it's like, don't speak ill of the dead, but you just don't do these things, because then the child just feels unwanted as fuck. Okay, now you're like, okay, cool, still nothing dramatic. What defined Kim and like her relationship with her own mother? was that at the age of six, her mom punched her in the face. So according to this, it taught her that violence was okay from the young age. But now when I read this, I was like, hmm, listen, okay, now what I like, when I heard this, I came to like such a realization. I was like, fuck, this case actually, you know, wasn't as dumb and twilighty after all. I mean, yeah, like my parents used to sort of like, you know, beat my brother and me here and there, you know, when we would fucking lie most of the time. <laughs> or like misbehave on the next level. It wasn't like a regular occurrence. But yeah, that, that didn't make me violent. Cool. It didn't. But in my head, even now when I think about it, if I was to have a kid, yes, I would probably justify some sort of beatings at certain points like depending on what they do and i was like but wait i just see the whole world differently like it's not just that it incites violence in you it just makes it like well then yes i want to replicate this with my own kid as well if they like misbehave because it's not like it's harmed me for life but it kind of taught me right from wrong and i was like but there might have been other ways to do this And I've, yeah, just discovered the whole world of possibilities, I guess. But again, it never fucking incited in me, like, yeah, let's go kill the parents. So I kind of knew there was, like, something more afoot here. And there is. Due to this, she actually called, like, social services on herself. And she was taken from her mother and put into foster care. Not just that, but they take Katie as well away from Elizabeth and temporarily placed her in care. Soon enough, you know, the file is closed and they let them resume their normal lives. From this event, it just made Kim feel super unwanted in this family. It's like, yeah, your mother literally abandoned you, left you into, like, social care for a couple of months and then, what, accepted you back? Like, yay, welcome back. So she tried to make attempts and insinuate that she will run away 
And she even tried to commit suicide as well. So Kim even tried to commit suicide. She left a suicide note. And her mom like tried to arrange the emergency psychiatric assessment. But the psychiatrist found there is uh, no signs of mental illness. And this was only three weeks before the murder. So it was kind of like trigger after trigger. And then it sort of like calmed down. But in her head it never calmed down. Like her mother, she always felt unwanted. Her mother always favoritized another child. And then never approved of her relationship with Lucas and kind of like would put her stuff in bin bags and she would return from his house. There's this criminologist, Lizzie Ardley. She actually teaches at one of the unis. I forgot which one now. But yeah, she kind of gives interviews everywhere. So her face is quite familiar. So she said this was never about favoritism. It's just that Kim kind of felt entitled to more. Remember with Caesar sisters? When I said during the motive, it was never about them like defending their mom like they used to see this through their whole fucking life it was when the threat was imposed on them and then they're like well now i might as well like try to defend myself that way kim here felt like yeah i'm entitled to more than this but her logic for the killing is that her mom then now doesn't have to wake up worrying and her sister doesn't have to live with a suicidal sister and with losing her mother put she's truly a savior like this is so empathetic it's like so not the coldest motherfucking reason and dumbest one that you've read out there the relationship between elizabeth and kim kind of just escalated with the introduction of lucas into the story so the rowing was like now even more and more frequent and kim kind of alleged like that her mother uh, would tell her that she turned just like her father you know abandoning the family and just abandoning her and her sister even with lucas kim actually tried to run out like run from the house and they were found sleeping in a forest like just north of their home it even seemed like elizabeth could sense something was coming up because she defined a couple she described the two of them as the time bomb waiting to go off. So by now you're kind of like, you definitely don't understand what the fuck, like, why did they commit this? But you might sort of have some better understanding of, like, her reasoning, at least, or what she thinks she, you know, uses reasoning. But what the hell motivated Lucas Markham? Well, I feel it's that whole relationship in itself. So both of them were, like, toxic for each other. And it was kind of like us against the world attitude. It's just the wrong attitude to have in life, but yeah. So consultant forensic psychologist Philip Joseph told the court if they hadn't gotten together, had this intense toxic relationship, the murders would have never happened. This is clearly a planned controlled killing. There is control all the way through it. Bonnie and Clyde, that sort of intense attraction, emotional closeness them against the world. It's that sort of thing that led on to this. He was just basically another savior, just like him, but on a different level, who just felt like they finally understood and would do anything to protect his girlfriend. He also had like some seriously tragic abandonment issues in the background. So his mom died when eight, uh, when Lucas was five and he was in and out of different foster homes. Again, just feeling unworthy, rejection, abandonment. And as were, they were this young, like, all of this abandonment and rejection happened in those, like, crucial months when it had prevalent influence because you were still, you know, sort of, like, building your sense of self, building, like, your like, relationship with environments. So, obviously, something like this is crucial for you and has, like, such dramatic effect. So, with him, it was this intense conflict between a need for nurturance and the fear of abandonment. This is why you don't look for somebody with the exact same characteristics as you. You don't look for somebody with the same abandonment issues, because then you turn out to be fucked up. Look for a variety of different interests. Don't look for the exact same person with the exact same conditions about you. Just ask them on the first date, did your mom punch you in the face? No, this is not for me. My mom punched me in my face too. And like, I've been spending time in foster homes. I don't want this. I don't want to bring this on to us. Because we're going to be a fucking ticking bomb if we do. Okay. Now, let's go. Discuss their motives. As I mentioned here, we're going to have like actual psychology... Psychology... Psychologist? <laughs> actual psychologist discussion on motives. But before that, I'd like it just one of... The things that I was thinking of is like, did he all of this time 
just want Kim to feel as abandoned and as just left alone and isolated as he was for her to depend on him. Think about that. But yeah, that is my personal opinion. Now let's go into like actual psychiatric, <laughs> actually people who are qualified and their opinions. So Dr. Oliver White said that like this instability where his dad died, he has been living with one within the foster care system, resulted in the lack of opportunity to, to develop skills in self-regulation in his own emotions. And that due to his age, he felt short of a formal diagnosis of personality disorder, apart from everything he gathered, it was assessed that his specific emerging personality traits were in the domains of emotionally unstable and dissocial personality disorder. Another psychologist called Tracy King said that because he has witnessed like some domestic violence in his family because of his drunk dad, this would have instilled in a young child the flight or flight pathway. In which case like even minor threats and challenges could feel as a real threat to the existence. So here he finally found in Kim, you know, somebody that is understanding, that understands his background, that, well, he loves or whatever. And then her mom and sister suddenly impose this threat, which in his eyes is 10 times bigger than it actually is. Now, as for Kim, Dr. Indranil... Indranil Chakrabarti said that the, the like the final stressor for her was when she found out that her belongings had been either thrown away or like given to his sister, put in the bins whenever she would come from Lucas because her mother didn't know how she, to deal with her. They have concluded that due to all of these traumatic events from her life and the adverse family circumstances, at the time of the offense, she has developed an adjustment disorder against the background of severe attachment problems. Basically, so for both of them, they're kind of saying like they're really too young to be even assigned a disorder, but it's leaning towards that and they will probably be diagnosed one day. In which case I can get, like, I know that some of you will probably think, well, if they're too young to be diagnosed, how can they be sentenced for life? And I mean, and well to that, like, they, they didn't have to do any of this. Like, they were conscious of all of these things happening to them. They maybe did not understand them, they couldn't comprehend, they couldn't, like, break it down like these psychologists, but they understood the, all of these stressors, and they understood that they were the stressors. So why not convert them into, like, more positive things rather than just make them culminate in murder? Not just that, but it was reported, like, now when they were all assessing them in all of these psychologists, psychologists talking to them, Kim actually realized that he was controlling, so she just moved on. She just ditched this guy even before the fucking trial. Expressed no emotions towards him, no emotions towards her pending sentence. And as all of these people were talking to her, she again expressed like such a crazy lack of empathy. Just love this recognition. She even mentioned that she plans to one day write a book about her and her life. And they still think like she is a bigger threat basically to the society even once she is released due to the level of planning and the lack of remorse. And they just, just say this is like the most British thing, but they're like, no, this is an inappropriate level of self-esteem and self-importance. And also just like sense of justification in the harm that she caused to her mother and her sister. And, you know, when she feels like they have wronged her. I love that they're like, no, this is inappropriate. Please be more professional with this. <laughs> Please control your emotions, Kim. But pretty much that is the case. Sort of shorter one this week is just because there is very limited information. It's pretty much that. They plan to do the murder. They skipped it for two nights, the third night they've done it. And then a bunch of psychologists just looked into their fucking brains. It was like, what is wrong with these kids? What do you think motivated these two? Like, do you agree with any of these psychologists? Do you think, like, their trigger had to do anything else with them? Like, you know, would she have done this with somebody else if it wasn't Lucas? Hit me up, you know, deadbampod across all socials or podbamagmail.com. And now we're moving on to something different, because I was like, I'm running out of these, um, I wanted to say soap operas. Freaking fairy tales, you know, same, pre-equal pre to fucking soap operas. But this mini section is all about learning something new and what interested me for a while and I was like, hey, I never actually properly researched this. And that is, why do people have middle names? Well, you know, uh, people, not like me, people here or like in the US and shit like that. Yeah, let's dive into that. Where does it come from? It comes kind of from like middle ages. 
because you probably guessed it because maybe you have a middle name that is a saint's name but yeah these have to do with uh, more with religion than with anything else by the mid 1800s this european habit began to enter the us so started off europe went to the us and this is when the saints' names started to be replaced by non-religious middle names, such as like maternal maiden name. And by the time the civil war began in 1861, middle names were given just like at parents' discussions or the as and when they fucking want to. And we're often <laughs> and we're often aspirational in nature. It was sort of like, yeah, but let's give them, you know, two free middle names, which kind of still fucking happens today but yeah it's kind of like that happy that we have today which is like ooh, a child's name it has to be different it has to be strange yeah that's what they were doing then but kind of with middle names so the americans were like well we never had anything else introduced by the europeans we actually like this shit <laughs> so they picked up on this middle name idea and by the beginning of the world war one people had to have a middle name any soldier, anybody going to war had to have a free, you know, first name, middle name, and then the last name. So the government documents required it. And the computers were kind of wired that way to only recognize when people have three names. If a middle name wasn't entered, the program would automatically insert NMI, which was a military abbreviation for no and middle initial. The earliest kind of middle names date, of course, to royalty. And it is said that with the aristocracy, the practice existed by the late 17th century and possibly earlier. But the actual phrase middle name was not recorded until 1835 in the periodical Harvardiana. And what you might consider middle name now might actually be one of the other common cases. So either part of two word given name like Marianne, Elizabeth Marie, what? <laughs> Who the fuck? Or a maiden name, so like your mom's maiden name, or patronymic, which is a different, which is like your father's given names, like kind of like Russian, you know, Empire of Romanov. There we go. Or a baptismal name, like Saint Christopher, and then they just keep Christopher. Now, of course, I went international because I'm international. Hit me up internationals, you know, if I missed out your country, because of course I probably did, because I have like two examples. So uh, yeah, hit me up. Is it obligatory? What fun stories do you have about your middle names? Let's compare it. Let's compare it. Who wins? So in Sweden, there's no limit of how many given names a Swedish citizen can have. And they're not referred as middle names, simply as given names. Swedes also have a um, name because obviously sometimes people can choose for the middle name to be, you know, how they actually want to refer it. So they have a word that's called a name of address, which is a given name that a person chooses to use. How, how fucking formal and nice we use Scandinavia, you win again. In Vietnam, for example, because they have many common last names, this is like a way to distinguish the gender of the names. So they don't like abbreviate middle names. It's like properly used to distinguish all of these unisex names. Is that right, Vietnam? This is Wikipedia. Please correct me. In Spain and Latin America, of course, my favorite, my favorites. They use the compound names to be distinguished. So there's one I have um, a friend. <laughs> I have a friend. Guys, I have a friend, a single friend. <laughs> One of my friends, like, her parents actually both have compound names, so her mom's name is Maria Teresa, so, like, that's Maite combined, and then the dad's, dad's name is Juan Jesus, and then that's Juanje, because he's a shorter, sweeter, is the Spanish way. <laughs> yeah, I just loved, I love how somebody on Wikipedia was like, yeah, let's put this shit in. So, since 1905, middle name um, has also developed a figure of speech, meaning a notable and understanding and outstanding attribute of a person, such as in the phrase, a discretion is my middle name. <laughs> Crazy is my middle name, okay? Don't fuck with me. Also, this is like left without citation on Wikipedia. Somebody just like, just inserted this bullshit like, yeah, this is what people are gonna find interesting. Put it there. And in the US, people who prefer their middle names might choose to either abbreviate their first name to just an initials, such as in J. Edgar Hoover, 
or they might simply omit the first names. So, of course, I compiled a couple of celebrities that it just changes everything. When you think about their first name, it changes everything, okay? Totally not the most dramatic thing. So, some of them are James, Paul McCartney, Hannah, Dakota Fanning. I love how both sister Fannings, like, just chose to, like, fucking ignore the first name. So, one is Hannah, Dakota Fanning, and the other one is Mary L. Fanning. Like, no, fuck this shit. Now, this is the best one. Wardell Stephen Curry, you know, as in the basket player, Stephen Curry. Yeah, how much different would it sound if we just called Wardell? Walter Bruce Willis. William Bradley Pitt. That's just, that's just that. There's no Will and Brad. That's just giving me some flavor. Laura Jean Reese Witherspoon. Christopher Ashton Kutcher. No, he's just Ashton Kutcher, okay? Stop stop fucking with Ashton Kutcher's name. And Rachel Meghan Markle. I love how they were like, yeah, here, here's this name. It will make you sound kind of white and like Rachel from Friends. And then Meghan Markle. And she's like, no, no to the white shit. <laughs> Except she married white prince royalty. Don't cancel this podcast. Queen, listen, we are besties, okay? <laughs> Since when? You would be fucking petrified even of the king, like even of the queen's dog. Moving on, this is too bad. Just move on with this Monday, like this never happened. Like, you know, now you know a bit of history about middle names. What is your middle name? Do they force you to have one in your country? And if they do, why? Why the fuck do they do it? Are they religious motherfuckers? Question everything. Question the motherfuckers. Oh, because I am super tech-savvy, as everybody here knows, I only realized this week that you can actually put an email widget link or whatever the fuck you call it within the profile and then people can directly press on that and email you from instagram directly did you know that that can happen probably every single fucking person listening to this is just screaming into their ears like how how do you operate maya like just how the moral of that story is that bampod instagram you can email me directly you don't even have to open another app wow how fucking convenient so yeah let me know what you think about these stories because I realized that this episode is like super short, I was like, okay, it's already weird. We have already went for like a thousand topics. Twilight, why the fuck not? Murder, why the fuck not? Middle names, because that made sense for some reason. <laughs> so this next mini, of course, makes so much, so much more sense. I'm just gonna read you bits and pieces of an article that I have read online. And of course, it's like the first line was what got me into it. The first line says... What goes in must come out. We humans eat a lot and then we poop. And I was like, yes, this is my kind of article. Imagine how much stronger this podcast, like this podcast would have hit the goddamn charts. If, you know, first episode, Robert Picton, I just had the mini about toilet paper. They would immediately know what I'm on about. People would know I'm a no bullshit person. I'm a shit person. <laughs> Made no sense. Okay, bits and pieces about toilet paper. Everybody, yes, nobody asked for it, but everybody's getting it. Let's do it. So did you guys know that North Americans consume about 50 pounds, which is 23 kilograms if you are from a normal metric country, of toilet paper per capita every single motherfucking year? That means to make enough toilet paper, because everybody considers it a fucking necessity now, manufacturers blow through about 10 million trees annually. 10 million trees. How the fuck are we having enough trees anywhere? How, how is there this tree in a park? You should fucking go and kiss the tree, okay? Okay, now this line in this article is absolutely mind-blowing. I swear. Okay, listen. This is not, this is not correct. But women tend to wood toilet paper so like kind of just like a mess it instead of just you know fold it neatly while men fold before wiping is this true is this true do you even think about it like who did this survey was well, so did they go into people's toilets to fucking conduct this survey now the next line is even more messed up women write from front to back to avoid spreading bacteria into their genitals which cool, cool, now you know how I wipe my ass, cool, that's enough, that's totally no TMI. Men wipe however they want to, like, what do they do? Just take the shit and then wipe it all over their fucking butt cheeks. What do you mean when wipe, like, however they want to? What is this? What I found fascinating is that, well, toilet paper is kind of a recent thing, well, less than 200 years old. Men, we cover murder that is, like, older than that, what the fuck? So what do people do before it? Well, they use, like, leaves, rocks, sticks, mud, clay, corn cobs, seriously, what is this? Snow? Or any other objects that could be used 
for wiping. In ancient Roman times, people will share a stick with a sponge in the end, and then between uses, the sponge would be sealed. The sponge would be soaked into very salty water, which helped, like, you know, clear out the bacteria. How gross. How gross. Chinese were the one inventing paper, well, paper and then toilet paper in um, the future. So the paper was invented in first century and then sort of roughly by the sixth century it was widely used and by the 14th century it was just like produced, you know, mass production of thousands and thousands of rolls. Now you know how it, like your friend makes a joke like Haha, when we run out of the toilet paper I'm gonna use like the sun or just like daily mail or some tabloid bullshit papers. Well, they used to do that in 1700s. They would quite literally have like people who well wanted to have it for cheap because it was still very much a commodity rather than like a necessity and toilet paper wasn't cheap. People would use just newspapers and then people had their favorites. By the way, I'm gonna link the article below. This is from How Stuff Works, which have like great podcasts on random shit like this. So this is why I was just like, have their newsletter and then I get stuff like this. And I'm like, okay, hello. Hello, toilet paper. Why did I not read up about this? To be continued, continuing right now. And of course it originated in China, you know, but then somebody really thought like, let's make this a business. And I kind of like... Okay, it's not like he invented it, so this is different. But what I spend a lot of time thinking at times is like how much cooler was the old times you could actually invent like a whole contraption, like, you know, Bell invented the phone. Or like, I don't know, Nikola Tesla invented like the whole fucking current of electricity and how that goes and works for the homes. And today it's just like, what can you invent? It's all like technological. It's not like people working on theories and theories. <sighs> Sad times. But yeah, it was invented. Well, okay, there was an entrepreneur called Joseph Gaetti, Gadgetti, whatever, uh, who saw a clean business opening unlike any other. So in 1850s, he started selling boxed sheets of paper, which was infused with aloe. Aloe? Aloe. Aloe vera. Aloe. <laughs> Mispronouncing words. It's, I'm an immigrant. As I always say. How many immigrants? Stop judging me. Okay. <laughs> Which he marketed as the hemorrhoid preventer. <laughs> Just the commercials were different back then. Just imagine some like today saying that the toilet paper is hemorrhoid preventer. Like, mm, is it? And this is super bizarre to think about. But even in like 40s, so 1940s, toilet paper was still like pretty rough, and you had to like fold it multiple times. Which then apparently turned out to be a habit, but that's where it comes from. Because toilet paper used to fucking hurt your butt. Do you wanna shit? Well, think about it twice because uh, you got a wipe and uh, you, you wanna hurt your anus. God, this episode. What is this episode? So, until they have introduced chemicals, of course. So, most toilet paper now uh, are made from tree pulp, water, and bleach. We don't even have to inject it, guys. Stop, stop listening to me. Don't inject bleach. And then it's, of course, chemicals and, you know, some extra fibers making it cushier. And, you know, cushier for your tushy. Yeah, please just hire me for any fucking toilet paper commercials. That is, that would be the highlight of my career, yes. <laughs> Indeed. Now, over or under, which person are you? Do you flip it over or do you flip it under? Apparently households with children kind of prefer the under thing because it's a easily camouflage and kids don't just see it as a pulling mechanism where they just pull toilet paper and roll it all over the house. I don't know, that's what I read. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Stop being a judgy Nancy. Then this article goes to kind of discuss like, you know, can we imagine the life without toilet paper? It seems bizarre, but yet, yeah, why the fuck not? You know, it it would require a cultural shift, basically, when it be, be dead, or just people actually washing their fucking ass with their hands, which isn't as problematic. As I mentioned, I've done the silent meditation retreat. This is how you do it. You do it with a bucket, and then you just, like, rinse it, and then you wash your hands. And, you know, it's totally normal. Or they suggest doing, like, the cloths. You know, like how in the old days, before pumpers, before the fucking diapers, people had, like, those diapers that were, like, clothed, and then you would wash them and rinse them. So, yeah, something like that along those lines. That, that is the part that grosses me out. Just wash it with your fucking hand. 
this is just a podcast. I'm not deciding whether or not you should use toilet paper. I'm not, you know, announcing a cultural shift. So do as you wish. Toilet paper is here to stay for now. This was weird. This whole episode was just weird. And it shall continue to be so. Because, guess what? It's final couple of minutes. So, well, you know what that means. You're going to your next Zoom call. This week, I want you to ponder about something because it has been on my mind forever and ever. Basically, you're going to your next Zoom call. Can you ask them, are they attached to their name? Like, if you work for a company where on Slack or Intercom or whatever, customer service management-like platforms, you can be whoever you want to be. You don't have to have your name attached to it. Would people choose to have a different name? Why are they too attached to theirs? Because this particular week, I just realized, I mean, it has been on my mind for a while because I work for a company where technically I can change my name. Like, it's involved with verifications and checking people's documents and all that security shit. So, like, I was like, why didn't I change my name? Every single person has a completely different name to theirs. And I'm just there like, no, I'm too attached. I'm Maya the Bee, you know, I'm a cartoon character. I'm a joke myself. Why? Why not? That's what I've been pondering about, so why don't you make your colleagues ponder about that as well? And then ask them the question, why are they that attached to their name? I genuinely still haven't figured it out. I think it has something to do with the fact that I know that my parents wanted to give me the most basic name back home, which is like the most common name. You would have like five people in class call that name, which is like equivalent to Helen. So... So I feel like I was just always like, oh my god, they didn't name me that. The story behind them giving me the name after a cartoon character doesn't make any sense. And it's not deep at all. And they insist of telling everybody why I'm named Maya. But it's cool. I like it. I'm attached to it. That's, this is why. It's not deeper than that probably. But hey. I so like that it has four letters. I like three and four letter names. This is, I mean, this has been super deep episode. <laughs> I really hope you fucking enjoyed it because I did because it was random and it truly represents you my state of mind right now so um, yeah arrivederci hasta luego keep questioning everything and being a conspiracy theorist and making this world a truly truly better place one motive at a time bye fuckers Now, this is from scripts.com, okay? Serious voice. But as Bella approaches, she's taken aback when, on Edward's face, he slowly looks up at her, his eyes cold black with repulsion, fury, if looks could literally kill. Bella knocks someone's book bag off their chair, replaces it, mumbling an apology, then slicks reluctantly into her seat. Edward jerks away from her to the extreme edge of his chair. Mr. Molina to the class animated today will be observing the behavior of planaria as known as flatworms. As Mr. Molina distributes two petri dishes per table, Mr. Molina, we're gonna cut them in half, then watch them regenerate into two separate worms. Bella glances at Edward, who averts his face, holding a hand over his nose as if he smells something horrible. Bella, shrinking, subtly sniffs the air, smells nothing. Then she sniffs her hair, it's fine. She's perplexed. Mr. Molina hands Edward two petri dishes. Mr. Molina, yeah, folks, zombie worms, they just won't die. Edward takes the dish, then slides the second one across the table to Bella as if she had Ebola. <laughs> serious, serious voice. This is a serious scene. <laughs> I thought she had B.O. when I was like watching this scene in the movie. I was like, ah, oh, she just smells. She just didn't shower. Like, let her leave. <clears throat> she takes back her dish. <laughs> she takes, she takes her dish and makes a dark curtain of her hair between them. She then sees Edward's hands under the table, clench into fists, of Bella utterly baffled and deeply insecure. Now snap to a couple of scenes after when um, every teenager lost it to their first conversation. Bella, terrific. She heads towards her seat, brushing off her hair, but she freezes when she sees Edward. Bella straightens, cry. <laughs> Bella straightens, girding herself, then strides to the table and confidently drops her books down, ready to address him, but he looks up at her. Edward, hello. 
Bella stops, stunned. He's direct, precise, as if every word is an effort for him. Edward, I didn't have a chance to introduce myself last week. My name is Edward Cullen. She's too shocked that he's talking to her to answer. Edward, prompting, uh, you're Bella. Bella, I am. Uh, yes. Feeling like an idiot, she quickly sits. He abruptly moves to the extreme edge of the seat. She's even more baffled now. Mr. Molina, this bitch again. <laughs> to the class onion root tip cells, that's what's on your slides. Apparently label them into the phases of mitosis. The first partners to do it right win, the golden onion. He excitedly holds up a spray-painted onion. Everyone just looks at him. He is disappointed by their apathy. <laughs> this is a shit class. Mr. Molina, come on, people, TikTok. 21. Everyone sets to work. Edward pushes the microscope to Bella, keeping his distance, his voice controlled. Edward, ladies first. She grabs the microphone defensively and snaps, <laughs> and snaps the first slide in, adjusting the lens. She's curt as she addresses him. Bella, you've been gone. <laughs> Edward, out of town for personal reasons. She glances at him, but he just leans far away. His face tight. She looks back into the microscope. Bella, profane. She begins to remove the slide. Edward, may I look? She slides in the microscope. He glances through the lens. Edward, profase. Bella, muttering, like I said. He writes it on the worksheet. <laughs> How many of you have met the part of chemistry class? Please, under a microscope. The microscope chemistry. There's no chemistry. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, like I said. He writes it on the worksheet. Then he takes a breath as if trying to calm himself and turns to her with enormous effort. Edward, enjoying the rain? <laughs> That's me with enormous effort. Bella, seriously, you're asking me about the weather. Oh, so British of you. Robert Pattinson, so British of you. I actually fucking laughed at this scene. I was like, this is me. It's like, weather dog, small dog, really. I'll come back to the story. <laughs> Edward, it appears. <laughs> Bella, no, I don't like the cold or the wet or the gray or parks or turtlenecks or fucking happiness, Bella, apparently. What you have against Turtleback, for fuck's sake? Is that a smile playing on his lips? For the first time, he seems more intrigued than agonized. He studies her. She... <laughs> she still can't tell if he despises her or not. It's infuriating. <laughs> like he just met you. Why would he despise you? Bella, what? He shakes his head and turns to the microscope, switching out the slides. She looks at him and keeps looking. <laughs> Bella's POV, echo on Edward's face. His cheekbones, his lips, so perfect, like a sculpture. <laughs> Edward, Anna face. She snaps out of it, covers with a dry look. Bella, may I? She looks through the lens. Anna face. Edward, oh, I said. <laughs> she glances at him. <laughs> she glances at him, and this time sees a smirk. She simply holds out her head for another slide. Edward, handing her the slide. If you had cold and rain, why move to the wettest place in the continental US? Yeah, why, Bella? <laughs> this was the perfect fucking segue for her to be like, because I'm always wet, but no. Bella, it's complicated, bitch. Nobody wanted this fucking line in the script. Edward, I think I can keep up. He actually seems interested. She looks into the microscope as, Bella, my mother remarried. <laughs> Edward, well, very complex. So you don't like him. <laughs> but I feel it's fine, young for her, but nice enough. Hope you enjoyed that. Don't cancel this podcast. Uh, bye.